0: Morning Disciples Church. My name is Joshua Kerstein. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, thankful to have you here with us today. Privileged to be the preaching pastor here at Disciples Church. Um, We're in the book of Ephesians and have thoroughly enjoyed the journey. If you'll grab your Bibles and turn with me there. If you need a Bible this morning, we have them on the on the back of the room in front of the sound booth for you to use while you're here. And um, we're going to be looking at chapter 6, verse 10 through 12 today. Um, we're in the final emphasis of Paul's exhortation to the believers in Ephesus. And uh, we're, we're, we're getting ready to wrap it up, we're, but we've got some great stuff left. So very excited for our time together this morning. Let me read our passage and we'll dive right in. Ephesians chapter 6. 10 through 12, in a sermon that I've titled Spiritual Warfare. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul begins this section with the word finally. Finally, we're at the last exhortation of Paul that he has for his listeners in the region of Ephesus. Finally means of last importance before I conclude. Let's do business with this. And this whole section here uh, in chapter 6 is an important one church what a journey it has been amen Uh, i'm so very thankful for the 70 sermons that we've spent together in god's word in this invaluable book of the bible the book of ephesians Um, the growth and the fruit that it's produced in you in us as a church is beyond measure Uh, i praise god for it Uh, but we're not done Uh, This final section is so good, and there's so much for us here. And so I encourage you, as always, lean in this morning. The Spirit may move in you to bring clarity, conviction, inspiration for all that God would have for you. Uh, I want to exposit this passage in a unique way today. I want to do it in reverse order. So we're going to start with verse 12, and then we're going to move to verse 11, and then we'll conclude our time with verse 10. I think by the end, you will understand why I chose to do this. With that as our plan, look with me at verse 12. We have lots to cover in just three verses. Ephesians 6.12 We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Here in verse 12, Paul is speaking of the reality of our spiritual warfare. Remember that Paul is speaking to Christians. Christians are those who belong to Christ. God has saved them. They've died to themselves. They now belong to Christ. They live for His glory and no longer their own. And what this also means for Christians is that we are now at war with the fleshly human nature and with the spiritual darkness that plagues our sin-soaked world. In contrast... Those who do not belong to Christ, those who are still Lord of their own lives, they've not confessed their sin and trusted their lives to Jesus, where He now reigns as Lord of their life. Those who are still on their own, they don't have an advocate. Scripture is clear. Those apart from Christ are still dead in sin. And therefore, there is no spiritual warfare in those who are dead in sin. Think about that with me for a moment. Why is there no spiritual warfare for those who are dead in sin? Because all they know is spiritual death. There is no spiritual life. All they know is sin. Even the good they do, Scripture said says, is sinful, because it's aim. The good of the aim is on creation. It's not on the Creator. It's not for the proper glory of God. They do not struggle with fighting off deception, for they are deceived through and through. But this is not the case for the redeemed. For we have been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life by the grace and the power of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ, which means we're no longer prisoners of the prince of the power of the air, as we studied in Ephesians 2.2. 2. We now belong to the other team. Amen? When we who are saved by Jesus are born again, we're we're given the Holy Spirit who dwells in each of us. When the Spirit is on board, now spiritual war is a reality. This means our entire life, from salvation until glorification, is a spiritual battle. Christian, do you understand that you are at war? These are unique layers we must understand. We know peace in Christ like we never knew outside of Christ. But at the same time, we now know spiritual war because we're in Christ in this time like we never knew when we were only dead in sin. Coming to know Christ as your Savior and Lord is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. He is your good shepherd. And in him you shall not be in want. But The truth is, life in Christ means now we're at odds with the devil and the powers of darkness and no longer subservient or enslaved to the devil as we were when dead in sin. This means... This life as a Christian until death is is a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. All of it. The valley of the shadow of death is not just the bad times in life. It is all of this life. This is David's emphasis in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there is a sweet presence of our Lord and Savior, a protection, a power, a provision. But this is at work in the midst of a great battle, in our journey through the valley of the shadow of death. It is interesting that in the earliest words of Paul's letter to the believers in Ephesus. Paul speaks of the good news that it is for all who are redeemed to have been blessed by God in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you remember that? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. You can turn there, peek at it with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places to be blessed is to be favored oh we want and need the favor of god paul says in christ we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places why is spiritual blessing an emphasis here Because Paul is referring to the new realm of spiritual realities in which we as believers have been brought in Christ. We've been spiritually made alive. We were dead in our sin. We've been reborn. That means now a spiritual reality. It's a reference to what is lasting and not just what is temporary. See that there are many temporary blessings that God has bestowed upon His creation under His common grace that we experience in the here and now, in the physical world, but these are not lasting or eternal. They're they're temporary. They're for a period of time. The temporary blessings of God in this creation, or even His chosen people under Israel, under the old covenant, were temporary provisions as well. Their purpose was to point to our need for a new covenant that would be applied to God's chosen people all who would trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Paul is lifting high the reality of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to truly be blessed in God. So we're not talking about the the common grace kind of blessings. We're talking about eternal spiritual blessings. Sinclair Ferguson says, says it well. When we become Christians... We do not merely receive a benefits package from Christ, containing forgiveness, new life, new hope, and so on. Much more than that is involved. We receive Christ Himself. We are united to Him by His Spirit, so that all that He achieved for us becomes ours. In this sense, Paul says, We died with Christ, we were buried and raised with Him, ascended with Him, reigned with Him, and we will be with Him when He comes in glory. Here we are given a catalog of the superabundance of blessing that comes to us in and with Christ. Election, adoption, redemption, sanctification, forgiveness. Big words, big blessings. The blessings we have in Christ are spiritual and that they're derived from the Holy Spirit. The work of and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the greatest of the blessings which are purchased and secured by Christ in our place. Church, we must see when it comes to being blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing, this is a new identity. It's a new reality for us. We must stop considering blessing only as temporal riches and good circumstances, for it is far greater than that. It's an entirely new standing in life, a new position once, do all of God's wrath in our sin, now the recipient of all his love and blessings. Christian, this is who you are in Christ. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's Paul's emphasis in chapter one. Now, at the end of the letter, Paul's introducing a new layer to our new spiritual reality, our new identity. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing of God. But now we're also exposed to the full reality of the spiritual battle of the heavenly places. The realm of darkness that rages war after the realm of goodness and light of Christ is a final but futile effort by the enemy to try to cause defection of God's people from light to darkness. Now understand, this is a struggle that continues Even though Jesus won the war on our behalf, we must know that we are playing for the winning team in Christ. The war is won, but the battle isn't over because there are still more of God's elect that he ordains to save. That means still more brothers and sisters that will be adopted into God's family to join us. The good news is that the battle will not last forever. Jesus is coming back to make all things new. Listen to how this deliverance is proclaimed in Revelation 21, 3-5. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Beloved, we rest on this good news the promises of God are sure our hope is in God and not our circumstances Amen. but in the meantime we fight John R. W. Stott speaks of the struggle we face in this way is God's plan to create a new society then they, the hostile forces, will do their utmost to destroy it. Has God, through Jesus, broken down the walls, dividing human beings of different races and cultures from each other? Then the devil, through his emissaries, will strive to rebuild them. Does God intend His reconciled and redeemed people to life together in harmony and purity? Then the power of hell Will scatter among the seeds of discord and sin. Realize with me, Church, the fight is happening, and it's not unique. Spiritual warfare is real. But it's not in like the edges. I think sometimes we perceive spiritual warfare as out there. It's in strange places, and it's not. It's every day and it's all day. It's in your bedroom. And it's in the local grocery store. Consider the context that Paul is in as he focuses on this application in light of recent sections. Our marriages, our parenting, our life as kids, for you kids, our employment and our operating under authority and living our adult lives. These are the aspects of life Of daily life this is where the fight is we will not see all the health and fruit and growth we want to see in these areas without some real struggle and overcoming obstacles some of these obstacles run so very deep in us they create a real hardship, division heartache but God is able more than able See with me, the devil wants you to think the fight is out there. He wants you to relax and not think it's upon you. He he wants you to think the answer lies in someone else getting their stuff together, not you. The more he can deceive you to think that you have nothing to work on, or that he and his spiritual forces are not at work all around you, is maybe his best victory in you lately. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Or if you know he does exist, then it's convincing you that his deception and temptations are not present in your life. No, we must see what Paul is making clear in our passage today. Satan and the powers of darkness are very real, and very present and very busy. So we must be ready, armored and strong in the Lord every day we live this side of glory. Look with me again at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, he's not saying that there's no struggle in this life with the physical. Surely there is. Our body is breaking down every day. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you feel that. It would be like the wave happening at a ballpark. this is the case and one out of one of us is going to die that's a very real statistic right the physical impairments and pain that we face is real and for some of you it's very deep and it's very present so don't hear paul saying that these are of no consequence but rather hear him emphasizing that our struggle is with so much more than what we can see with our eyes or feel in our bodies. For example, even if you struggle greatly with pain or bodily impairments for breakdown, it is what you do with that reality of this fallen world that really shows who you are. How is your mental state, your spirit, your stewarding that bodily pain, or breakdown in Christ? What does your identity in Christ mean for how you are stewarding all that God has entrusted to you? This is where the real rubber meets the road. This is where the most important work must be done. Is the Spirit of God bearing fruit in you, or are you giving yourself to the deception of the flesh? The point is this. Despite how well or bad the physical state is, the uniqueness of our God-ordained lot as redeemed, set-free Christians, children of God, is that we are at war with this present darkness. This present darkness. Paul uses this phrase in our verse. Scripture speaks of it elsewhere. For example, in proclaiming the gospel, the good news, Colossians 1, 13-14, for He, God the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John eight twelve. These are marvelous truths about our salvation and life in Christ, but what we must see is that the darkness of the devil is still present. We are still at war with it in these days that we live in Christ and live for Christ. So, what are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places? They are Satan and his demons and the demonic and wicked influences of our fallen society. To remind you, the Word of Truth Catechism says Satan opposes God as the chief. Of all fallen angels, by deceiving, tempting, and lying. Also, Word of Truth Catechism, question 20. Fallen angels, demons, are evil angels who sinned against God and now continually work evil in creation. There is no redemption for fallen angels. Demons possess the power of angels. This is a power greater than humans, but far Inferior to God. Demons have the ability to do the following. Indwell humans and animals. The clarity there is to indwell unbelieving humans. Those not belonging to Christ. Physical affliction of people. Terrorizing humans. Initiating false worship. Promoting false doctrines. Performing false signs and wonders. Deceiving prophets. Prophets. Encouraging idolatry, engineering death. One thing I want you to be very mindful of, and our catechism is specific to qualify this, demons only do what God permits them to do. They're never outside His sovereign rule over all things. That's good news. But we we must see that they are at work all around us. This is Paul's point. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Look with me briefly at, at these one by one. Paul says the rulers. The rulers are talking about rule. The rule of wicked forces, of specific areas or territories, or over specific people. Why is that? regional rule important because demons are not omnipresent like God is. Don't give them that. Okay, They have to be present. They have to have a region, a people. They have to have delegated areas for which they aim to deconstruct. When it says against the authorities, authority is separated from rule in that the emphasis is more like governing values or wicked ideals. In other words, their influential values of darkness are perpetuated in society and taken hold of or given influence over. There's also clarity for cosmic powers. Cosmic is a word that deals with range or scope. Wide. It's big. Powers in relationship to influence. So this is the means by which the enemy has a reign or influence on mankind to perpetuate wickedness and wicked agendas through TV, print media, news, social media, shared among mankind, lies, deception, and in this, wielding deception, wielding crafty agendas to manipulate evil in the world. These are at work. They're the work of the spiritual forces of evil. And they're real. And they're a present danger. Now let us realize that those who are, in, who are lost in a secular world... They don't have spiritual eyes to see or believe the fullness of the attack of the spiritual realm that surrounds them all the time. They are deceived. They are blind to it. The secular society therefore rejects the notions of these spiritual realities as nonsensical, as superstitious, And therefore, this is why the secular world's fight is only with the physical. There's no value for the spiritual. This is why their attention is only on matters of poverty, physical oppression, hunger, various forms of injustice in society. Because that's the only playing field they have view of. They have no perception of the spiritual. A dismissal of the spiritual... And the centrality of the gospel is currently at work in in the modern minds of mankind and sadly making its way even into quote-unquote churches, pulpits, leadership of the church who are naively embracing or promoting man-made priorities for the church, man-made ideologies and, and rationales which essentially disregard the authority of God, the reality of spiritual warfare, the workings of sin, disregard the gospel and the power of Christ alone to solve our greatest problems. So therefore their focus is to mobilize the church on priorities of restoring what is broken about society in the present day only. But these are extra-biblical. It's deception. They're deceived. We see this in ideologies like new perspectives, and wokeness, and equity. James Montgomery Boyce once spoke of something a man by the name of Alfredon Chapras Swinburne once said. Swinburne, said man is the master of all things boy said if this is true then let him master them if he cannot and it is perfectly evident that he cannot then let him acknowledge that it is because forces stronger than himself stand behind what is visible Let him acknowledge that our struggle is not merely against flesh and blood, which we see, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church, we must never lose sight of the reality of sin and the deception of our enemy all around us all the time. And it is deception, it is made to look good. Your discernment can't just be for what's grossly wicked. Why? Because the deceiver is really good at manipulation, at craftiness, to make his best schemes look really good when they're not, when they're wicked. We must constantly be questioning if what we are being told is biblical. Is God honoring or is it deception packaged to look good? Just because the apple looks good doesn't mean it's not poisonous, church. Church, our utter need is for Christ alone to save and transform lives. Our hope is not in the things of this world There are a lot of people giving a lot of hope to a lot of circumstantial stuff right now. It's coming on strong. Where you feel like, I got Jesus, but I also need to do X, Y, and Z. No, you just need Jesus. Our hope is in Him alone. Christ alone is Savior and Lord. He alone is the hope of the world. Only in Christ do we find the good news of the gospel. Now look with me at verse 11. Let's see what Paul tells us to do. He says, Ephesians 6, 11, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If our battle in this life were only against enemies that were physical then maybe our personal or physical training or learning to ready oneself in physical life and the mind and education would be enough. But the enemies of those who belong to Christ are far more than physical, so we cannot provide for ourselves without being grossly insufficient and underprepared. No, we need the armor of God. Charles Hodge said it well. If Satan is really the prince of the power of darkness, ruler and God of this world, if he is the author of the physical and moral evil, the great enemy of God, of Christ, and of his people, full of sinning and malice, if he is constantly seeking whom he may destroy, seducing men into sin, binding their minds and suggesting evil and skeptical thoughts, if all this is true, then to be ignorant of it, Or to deny it, or to enter into this conflict as though it were merely a struggle between good and bad principles in our own ears, is to rush blindfold into destruction. We must be armored up. Now, the armor of God is specific. Each piece plays a necessary part in our life, in our lifelong battle against the great deceiver and his army of darkness. But we wait for these details next week. Next week we will be thorough to study the armor of God so that we learn what it is and how to properly adorn it in our daily fight. Don't blame me. God just gave us too much good stuff in verses 10 through 12. We'll get there. For today, let us continue to first understand our enemy as we consider the schemes of our enemy, for they are not often... What we think they are. Ephesians 6.11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What are the schemes of the devil? They are deception, craftiness, blurring consequences, temptation of the flesh. Our enemy is Satan who rebelliously leads a band of evil angels. Although he is the angel of darkness, He disguises himself, Scripture says, as an angel of light. Why? Because deception is his game. Do you realize, therefore, that all of our visuals of what we think the devil looks like are all wrong? Why? Because in his deception, he would look very appeasing, welcoming, normal, gorgeous, friendly. He is the master deceiver. We must also remember Satan is an angel and nothing more. He is a lying and evil spirit. But don't miss him. For he is real. Don't dismiss him. Satan is spoke of more in Scripture than any of the other evil angels combined. 29 references in the Gospels Jesus him spoke Jesus himself spoke of Satan 25 of those 29 times. Satan is referred to as the prince of demons, the undisputed ruler of the host of the evil spirits that inhabit the cosmos as surely as humanity inhabits planet Earth. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, which includes all unregenerate humanity and fallen angels. Satan is the little g god of this world 2nd corinthians 4 4 the whole world order that rejects the creator and substitutes him for the creature he's a deceiver he's a schemer the late puritan william bridge once said of satan that he will tell you a hundred true things to get you to buy into the one thing that's a lie that will cause you to falter To see the schemes of Satan, we need to go no further than Genesis chapter 3. I've done this little exercise with you before. Let's take a second and do it again. Genesis 3, verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Really, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of the garden? In this church, see with me that Satan attempts to distort or deny the truth of God's word. To bring you to question it. Genesis 3 2 through 4. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. In this, Satan attempts to blur the consequences of sin, to convince you that if you do that, it won't be as bad as you've been told. Genesis 3.5 For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In this, Satan attacks how we trust or how we even view God. Satan also uses things like doubt to cause you to question God's word and his goodness. Discouragement that would cause you to look at your problems rather than look to and trust in God things like diversion to divert you so that the wrong things would seem attractive that you would want them more than the right things than the righteous path using things like defeat where you feel like a failure so you don't even try Things like delay where you put off doing the right thing, the right God honoring thing, so that it just never gets done. Satan wants nothing more than offer up the trap to bait us with wealth, with pleasure, with fame, with acceptance, love, relationship. And this is why the scriptures are clear to say, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Are you prayerful, church, over the realities of this present darkness? You pray over your children, parents, as they go to dreamland at night. That God would be at work, keeping the deception, the lies, the enemy at bay you pray over your loved ones as they go out into this world are you sober minded and watchful for the reality the adversary prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Or do we really live all too ignorant to this and just head down, we keep going? Praise God that Satan is not unleashed and out of control. No, he is under the sovereign authority of God Almighty. This is truly good news that while we need to be more aware and better equipped to not fall to the deception of the enemy And how that work is done all around us in a lost society. We cannot be captured. We cannot be taken from God's mighty grip. Satan cannot do this. You are secure in Christ. Protected by His power. Amen? Understand clearly, Satan is not a formidable foe of God. God and Satan are not on an even playing field, engaging in some kind of cosmic battle. You've seen the silly modern pictures of Jesus and Satan arm wrestling. That's comedy. Because it's not real. Nonsense. Unbiblical. Unbiblical. Scripture says in Colossians 1.16, For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things are under the rule of Christ. In Job we read that Satan only did what God allowed him to do to Job. Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. Nowhere in Scripture does Satan have the power to read minds or to know things exhaustively. Don't give him more than he has. Satan is on a leash with his power. God limits how far or what Satan can do. For you to question why, God chooses to reign over his creation in this way, is not ours to question. For he is perfect and holy and good and has every right to do with his creation as he wills for his glory. Amen? God promised the defeat of Satan in Genesis 15 and on the cross Jesus conquered sin and death on behalf of all redeemed people. So while you and I are still at war with the work of the flesh, the temptation of sin, the powers of darkness, we are claimed and secured in the victory of Christ. Jesus himself said in John ten twenty seven 27-29, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Amen? Church, we fear no one but God. We need to remember God is sovereign. Satan is not. Now, Look with me at the, the middle part of verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In our first reading, the hope that we can simply stand against the schemes of the devil doesn't seem too much of a goal just to stand. Why? Because we've been standing well for a long time. Like you conquered standing when you were a little toddler, right? So this doesn't necessarily feel like a big deal. Maybe, maybe for those of you who are aging, your your final lap, the standing thing becomes real again. We'll all be there, right? So careful if if you're laughing at that, like yeah, your time's coming too, right? It's a reality. The body's breaking down. But when you consider, so in the in the in the. Quick reading, stand against, like, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you consider the onslaught of the oppression, of the deception, of the temptation, the enemy is throwing at you all the time, standing is a big deal. Think of it like being in a boxing ring. Staying on your feet is key. Paul's point of emphasis of this entire section is really the context we must see ourselves in every day, more than we do. We're not just people going about our days like it's normal. No, we are at war. We're in a war. We're dropped in the middle of a war zone. And maybe a way to think about it is, we're in the boxing ring with a relentless opponent, and in the boxing ring, staying on your feet is a super important thing. The added clarity that may help is... The point Paul's is making is when he says staying upright or stay standing, it's, it's really, I think, more about withstanding the attacks of the enemy. It's perseverance. It's steadfastness. That Paul's wanting his blood-bought brethren to know and to live out. Remember Paul's words in Romans 5, 3-5. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. James, James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Standing against the schemes of the devil is steadfastness. Remaining steadfast means remaining full of faith in God. Your faith continually goes to work. You don't buy into the lies of the enemy, the fears and the manipulations. You, as this world is deceived and is living out its deception, you see who you belong to and it's a whole different thing. So you're not caught up in it. You're not undone by it. Your faith is at work. You're full of faith. Said fastness is perseverance of faith. This is the standing. Is your faith remaining at work, Christian? Even under the pressure of trials. Even under the the realities of injustices the breakdown of society and relationships and all that's going on in this fallen world. Do you trust God when you can't see anything but your foul circumstances? Steadfastness is remaining confident in God. I've said before, it's like being in a small boat and a 40-foot wall of water is headed your way. And as your increased trial approaches, you know God is at work. And he's on his throne. You trust him to work perfectly in this horrific pending moment in struggle. You know that you are his. You know that he will not forsake you nor waste one moment of your life, but works all things according to his perfect plan. That's your faith at work. Your eyes don't see it, but that's the point. It requires your faith to go to work. Romans 8, 28, we know, we believe, we have faith that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Church, your faith is not meant to be a one-time exercise, but a lifelong way of living it's meant to go to work at your salvation and never stop. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. Second Corinthians 5.7 Walk, live every day, every moment of every day. This is steadfastness. This is standing to endure the schemes of the devil. We need to never forget that our stand is not first, and it's not only. That there are many who have come and gone before us. Scripture gives you this a lot because it's good for you. Don't minimalize it. Hebrews twelve, one and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. One of my favorite verses. That Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 comes on the heels of the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. All these faithful men and women who have come before us. He's saying, remember them. Remember their faith at work. Yeah, they died. Yeah, they were unjustly imprisoned. Yeah, they went through hard trials. But their faith was at work. They did the work God called them to do in this short life for His glory and for others' eternal good. Christian, you must never forget that you do not stand alone. You have many other brothers and sisters around you and around the world going through the same thing, worse things. And you have Christ. We stand on the shoulders of the apostles and the prophets. We stand on the victory of Christ, defeat of sin and death on our behalf. We stand on the ground Jesus has already won for us. We stand with each other in unity, not against each other, but against the enemy. Any part of you that is inclined to have issue, undealt with drama, conflict, grudges against your brothers and sisters, that is a win for the enemy. To bring that discord. Why? Because he breaks up what is meant in the power of Christ to stand united against the enemy. Don't let him have that foothold, brothers and sisters. you got a grudge. You have undealt with stuff. You need forgiveness. You need to do with brothers and sisters to let that harbor is to let the enemy have a foothold. Don't let them have that foothold on this family. Do your business with each other. Now look with me at our final verse for today, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Paul leads into this section with a direct but very needed exhortation, which is that we as Christ followers should be strong. This is because strength is needed to endure the hardships of this life, the temptations that come our way every day. But it is not strength found in oneself. This is the key. Paul says we are to be strong. Look with me at the text. In the Lord. To be strong in the strength of His might. Realize with me, it is His strength that we need. Don't miss the clarity of this statement. We need His strength in us. We don't need Jesus to give us strength strength see the difference there if you think the latter if you think the second way you're likely to be guilty of then removing him from heart and mind and essentially then looking to do it on your own no we need to live and fight and be strong in the lord in the strength of His might. This means it is Jesus' strength that is at work in us to be strong. Listen to how Jesus says this in John fifteen five: I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. He doesn't say come to church for an hour on Sundays, open your Bible for 10 minutes a day, say your prayers at bedtime, plug into Jesus at a couple key times of the week, and then go about doing your own thing. No. That's that's unbiblical religion. If, If that's the way you've looked to the Word, if that's the way you've looked to the church, no wonder why you've struggled for so long. It's a fundamental shift in your thinking. We are to abide, to live in Christ. We are not meant to plug in and get charged up and then go out and try to like run on our batteries. You need to see you are in Christ, abiding in Him every day, all day. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. How much strength do we have on our own to fight the spiritual battles we face? None. Christian, you must see how essential it is that you're always abiding in Christ. To abide is to continue to dwell, to remain in Christ. To abide is to stay plugged into the source of life, which is Christ. It it cannot be Jesus, then you. you. You get a little Jesus, you get a little church, and then you go to try to do it. What's cool is I realize a lot of you relate to that. And so this gets to be a really big moment if you'll get your heads around it. And you'll begin to change the way you live the Christian life. It's always to be Christ in you. You in Christ. We don't thrive in the Christian life by getting a fill-up and then turning away, unplugging from the source, thinking we can run on our batteries for all. No, we... When we treat Christ this way, it is in those seasons, it is in those stretches that you drift, that you wonder that you wonder that, that you slow down, that you are prone to being tempted or, or deceived to give to the flesh, to appease the flesh instead of the spirit to abide is to remain constantly in Christ. Pondering his word, acting for his glory, living out who he is in you. To abide in Jesus is to be always desperate for and dependent on him. This is why the branch and the vine metaphor is so good. Because a branch that is separated from the vine is a dead branch. It has no life source. Can't just attach for a little while and then go out and produce fruit. It's desperate for the vine all the time. To abide in the vine is to thrive in life. See with me, church, it's not physical strength we're talking about. Physical strength is for physical threats. These are spiritual threats, so we need spiritual strength. We need spiritual nourishment, which is why Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you even think this way? Let's take it to another level. How many days do you think about the necessity to eat properly throughout the day so you don't become that person? You know what I mean? Right? You're just all out of energy and grumpy and, right? gets all... Do you think that same way about your Christian faith? And you need to be abiding in Jesus Meditating day and night in the truths of God. Walking in prayer with Him. Walking accountably with the church. Christian, do you see how desperate you are for the Lord's strength and not just your own? You must see and embrace your new identity in Christ. Listen again Paul's careful words in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me we must get out of the way so Christ can have and do his will and work in and through us The late great pastor theologian Charles Hodge says it well. When most empty of self, we are most full of God. We need strength and victory of the Lord. Paul pronounces this in his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, 54-57 Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Understand with me today, we need a sharper view of the spiritual warfare that is all around us. We need a better abiding in Christ for His strength to be at work in us so that we can stand against the enemy's onslaught of deceptions and temptations. But we must never forget, Satan is defeated. Because of Christ. And he is destined for eternal destruction. Holy Scripture is clear. Revelation 29-10 But the fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is the destiny of the devil. This is good news. For those who are in Christ, the devil is defeated and rules our lives no more. Because of this mighty truth, James said to his brothers and sisters in Christ, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. Why would Satan run away from little old you? Because you stand in Christ. Amen? Because... You now belong to Christ and nothing can take you from his grip. Because Jesus will lose nothing of all that he has given been given, but he will raise it up on the last day. John 6:39. Paul says in Colossians 2:13 through 15 and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with Him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Church, we must take oh so seriously the condition of those whom we love who stand apart from Christ. For Scripture says their father is the devil, and they are dead in their sin. But praise God that he's not done saving undeserving sinners. The good news of Jesus and the sovereign will of God is at work to save many. So we who are saved take seriously our mission in this battle to testify this good news. Your purpose of these days is not your trophies, it's not your 401k, it's not that dream vacation, it's not, 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 not. It is to testify the gospel and make disciples until he calls us home. All the rest of that is is to, be, uh, is to serve this ultimate purpose. It cannot be our aim. So we who are saved take oh so seriously our daily opportunity to testify the gospel Let us be motivated to not leave here today casual, but with a great sense of urgency and dedication, making the most of every day God gives us to testify the gospel, make disciples in this short time. And let us remember, church, for those of us in Christ, the devil has no grip on you anymore, for you belong to God now, Father, we thank you for these three verses in Ephesians 6. We thank you for the opportunity to slow and study them today. We thank you for this final section of exhortation that you've ordained for Paul to give the church, how it continues to bless us immensely today. Lord, there's an awakening that for many of us is needed, for we, we walk too naively to the realities of the lies and deception that surrounds us, powers at work in this lost world. We thank you for our victory over those things that we're no longer enslaved to them, but an equipping, a strength, a steadfastness in Christ to withstand, to resist, to turn away, to call what is wicked and lies, wicked and lies, to call what is true, true, to worship you, to live for you. Yes, this is the battlefield. And yes, It can be very hard, but we're not alone, and we're victorious. Let us never lose sight of this truth. Let it be cause for us to wake up with a vigor and a passion for your name. Hear us, Lord, as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.